This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 4th, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Well, my name is Rick Walzewski, and uh, I joined WVHC in 1979, and um, I was on the seven-year plan over at Hofstra. So I ended up graduating there in 86, but I was active in the radio station until the later 80s as well. Okay. Uh, what shows and programs did you work on or host or produce while you were there? Wow, you name them. Uh, you know, as soon as I got there, I was blessed. Sue Zizza and uh, John Woodford at the time was the chief announcer. Zizza was program director. And um, they ended up making me chief announcer by the end of my freshman year, as I recall. So I would do a lot of the, um, I would host a lot of the shows. Um, Even Song, I think, was my first one. That was a classical show in the afternoons. And then, uh, you know, you name it. There was a jazz program, Strictly Folk, I did for a while. Um, there was a show called Roots Rock. That was produced by legendary Christopher Storr. That ended up evolving into Rave Up. That was in the evening. Um, and then uh, ended up doing the post-punk progressive pop mm -hmm. party as produced by Bob Goldsmith. Um, but I wasn't known for that. I was known for uh, the show before, typically. But once I, did it, I did do the P5 show a lot. You know, I guess I did Airwave once or twice. <laughs> uh, and there's a whole bunch of shows I'm forgetting. I produced a show called Classic rag um for my love of ragtime music and scott joplin mm. and uh it was a half hour program that i would you know put in the can every week and uh i did 13 episodes as i recall somewhere that's out in my shed uh, growing mold on those mm. reels i had copies of them yeah it was fun Okay. Um, what titles or positions did you hold while you were at WVHC? Well, for a long time, I was the chief announcer. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then um, I was the program coordinator. Um, what happened was in 1983, uh, I ended up taking a job as a vacation relief engineer at WABC. Um, so that kind of extended my stay at Hofstra. Uh, you know, and then I completed my, uh, I got, ended up getting a you know, degree in art history. Um, and I did that slowly until I graduated in 86. Uh, when I got to the station in 79, I had already had exposure to broadcasting. I uh, worked for a thing called Sports Phone which if you dial 976-1313, uh, you get a 57-second sports report. So I, while I was in high school, I had the pleasure of uh, meeting a lot of sportscasters. I used to cover Mets and Yankees games, and I was the voice of uh, Buffalo and Rochester sports phone for a while. And I did some in New York and New Jersey, but mostly upstate New York. It was all done in the same office, 919 Third Avenue. So I had a little background in uh, broadcasting before I even got to Hofstra, which I guess gave me a head start. Uh, but I 
you know, it went from there. Okay. Uh, when you were on the air on the station, did you use your own name? Did you have an on-air name or a nickname that you went by? That's a good question. Um, you know, my last name sounds like a sneeze. Jeff Krause used to pronounce it Walczewski. Uh, I say Walczewski. And, um, yeah, so on the, on the air, I used my real name, but my show, um, Rave Up, I would uh, give it a subtitle called Ricky Racer's Request Radio Rock and Roll Jukebox. Uh, <laughs> so um, I ended up using Ricky Racer as a uh, a name for my show. And a lot of my friends ended up calling me that. In fact, if you go to, it's not there anymore, but if you went to Fezziwig's pub on Hempstead Turnpike, I was known there as Racer. And a lot of the friends I had there, I used to DJ there sometimes in the evenings. Uh, they would all call me Racer, which was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, that's that's great. And and by the way, an excellent Jeff Krause. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, he was uh, he was a special guy. Um, he was very intimidating. Um, he was feared, but he was a sweetheart, and um, he'd shoot straight with you. And, uh, and like that, but yeah, I mean, everybody had a Jeff Krause imitation. Um, his line about me was Walczewski, your problem is you're 90% potential, 10% kinetic. <laughs> you really got to get in a game, man. <laughs> so, um, I ended up doing that, but, uh, yeah, Jeffy was great. God rest his soul. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And, uh, uh, I'm sure you'll have more memories of him as we go along. But let's let's go back to the beginning. You mentioned a little bit of uh, experience before you got to Hofstra Radio. Uh, this is a two-part question and answer it, whatever makes sense to you. But what first brought you to the radio station? And when you got there, a uh, couple of questions to think about. Where, where was it? What was it like? Do you remember who you met when you first got down there? If you could uh, give us an idea of what was going on when you first got there. Um, well... I chose Hofstra for my, uh, I went to a high, high school in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, same high school uh, Dr. Fauci attended. So it was really a prep school. Most of the graduates there, there was only 100 kids in the class. They all went on to being lawyers and doctors. And, you know, I had my heart set on uh, two things, fine art and broadcasting. And the only school that had good programs for both was Hofstra. So I went to Hofstra. Plus, I was an Islanders fan. And uh, when I got there in 79, it was good luck for the team. They won like four cups in a row uh, right down the road there. So I figured I'd go to hockey games, but I only went to one, ironically. Anyway, to uh, continue with your question, when I got there, the office was in 251 Memorial Hall on the second floor there above the cafeteria. And uh, that was WVHC and the studios were in a little theater in the basement, which was the world's biggest fire trap or smallest fire trap, whichever way you want to look at it. But some of the times there were so special, and that's where I have my best memories in that little theater uh, where I started to uh, meet all the friends that I would make at the station and in my time at Hofstra. So there you go. Okay. So, well, compared to the facilities that, that came later and, and, and exist today, 
2021, uh, it's a far cry from what you first encountered at the little theater. Could you describe a little bit of what that was like, what the studio was like, or, or maybe some of the details that <laughs> might alarm some people today? Well, even though I was an engineer, you know, you really got to talk to people like uh, uh, Mike Kluger would be a good choice. I was, uh, I think I, when he made his debut and he went on to a career being an engineer, uh, I think I was his first show that he would engineer. It was the uh, classical show. But he would know more about the technical stuff. Even though I worked as an engineer at WABC, I was not a techie at heart. I was more liberal arts oriented, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a Gates board. I think it was the Gates diplomat. And, uh, the joke was that Frank Grunstein, uh, was working on building a studio, a new one in the little theater. And, uh, all you have to do is talk to some of the people of my era and say two weeks, the expression two weeks, uh, and you'll get <laughs> a lot of laughs because every time we would ask Frank Grunstein when the new studio would be available, of course, his answer was two weeks. Uh, so, but yeah, the the uh, the the only thing that was a great quality was the classic old mic they had, and uh, you know, Gates is a reliable brand for a board. So, I mean, that's uh, where I first learned how to DJ and you know work a couple of turntables. But you know, I was blessed; it came relatively easy to me. Um, not that I was the greatest engineer of all, but. It was more like second nature. It was a nice setup. It was an easy setup to use. But I was more of the announcer track and doing that kind of stuff. Okay. So so when you get there, I, I'm, I'm guessing there are some sort of training classes to become an engineer. You would have had to take a test for your FCC license and, and get cleared to be, I guess, a staff right. announcer if they were doing that. Do you remember anything about the training classes or what went into that? Well, I ran the announcing classes once I became uh, chief announcer based upon some, uh, you know, a format that uh, Jeff uh, gave me, uh, the previous chief announcers used. And, you know, when I first got there, Jeff ran the announcing class when I was a freshman. And, you know, I was blessed. I excelled, you know, and, uh, you know, I got through all of the exercises and stuff without a hitch. Theosilus Thistle, the successful thistle sifter, while sifting a sieve of unsifted thistles, thrusts 3,000 thistles through the thick of his thumb. I can do the whole thing, man. And if you ever want to win a bet, here's, here's, here's what you do. You bet somebody 10 bucks, and you write seven words on a tissue paper, and you say, I'm going to write these seven English words. you got to just say it without making a mistake, and uh, nobody will be able to do it. And the phrase is, the sea it ceaseth, and it sufficeth us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've never met anybody that got it right on the first try and it took me a while to practice it before I can nail it each time. But I enjoyed, uh, doing the announcing, uh, classes and, you know, I think we had a pretty decent announcing staff, you know, today's the way things are looked at are totally different back then. Back then there was such a thing as a studio announcer who would, uh, you know, announce, uh, whereas now, uh, you know, content on the radio is, um, has, you know, that doesn't matter at all. The stations, most people listen to, um, especially the news and sports stations. I mean, news, you have to have a nice clean delivery, but I like sports. So I'll listen to sports stations and 
you don't have to sound like an announcer to be successful on, on that. So it's just interesting the way times have changed. But yeah, I was an announcer. My brother and I, when we were little, we used to pretend we were announcers. Uh, and uh, we used to uh, imitate, especially the, uh, you know, the uh, public address announcers in various stadiums and hockey arenas. And uh, what's funny is my brother ended up being the uh, uh, public address announcer for the Knicks. He still is. He's been doing it for over 30 years since center court every basketball game in Madison Square Garden. Wow. And that's his, yeah, that's his part-time gig. Um, we both ended up not, you know, continuing in the radio business for various reasons. He was never in radio, really. He ended up, uh, he still owns his own headhunting firm in White Plains. But um, for me, um, you know, the radio business was wonderful. But um, looking at things, I decided that I would have to move around a lot if I were going to be a DJ or um, and that wasn't for me. Um, I did some part time for a year or two. I did some voiceover acting. I had an agent and everything. And I did some national spots on TV and also uh, lots of them on radio. I was uh, I had a national campaign for MTV uh, on the radio during the mid 80s. And, uh, you know, then I ended up not doing that anymore. Um, I moved to Florida, and that's where I live now for about 19 years or whatever it is. Mm. And now I guess the, it's a round world. You could do announcing, you could do voice acting um, pretty much from wherever you are. But back then you had to live in either New York or L.A. That's when everybody that was an announcer or a voice actor carried a beeper. And, uh, okay, they need you over in uh, Madison Avenue, you know, and you go running over there and either do it thing or an audition etc right but i digress what was the original question well, well uh, <laughs> it was it was what you might have remembered or learned in your announcing and engineering classes but before we get back to that I'd, I'd like to jump back for a second because some people that i've talked to for this just sort of fell into radio they, it wasn't part of their plan and there were other people who were in love with parts of radio or wanted to do something in particular that brought them to the station and i don't think i've had anyone yet say that they listened to and imitated the public address announcers at sporting events and things like that. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of interested to see where you and your brother picked that up. And, and it seems so interesting. Well, when we were kids, we would, uh, you know, my mom did some part-time acting and, you know, she had a great personality and, uh, my brother and I would imitate friends and relatives, um, you know, we would catch on to somebody's mannerisms and do that a lot. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, that transferred onto sports because we would watch, you know, basketball, hockey, baseball, football. And, um, you know, I, my brother is five years older than me and, um, he worked at uh, WFUV at Fordham for a while and was successful as sports director there. Um, so I, you know, we, we would hang out at home and I mean, we'd even do the French announcers, uh, the PA announcers in the Montreal forum, you know, Le premier toi, Guy Lafleur, mm -hmm. you know, we would, La Perriere and all these names. Um, you know, I took French just because I liked hockey, took four years of French, 
never used it in real life. I can understand it now. I don't really speak it, but uh, I just thought it'd be cool. So, yeah, we would we would mimic a lot of the things we would hear growing up. And my brother was um, obviously somebody I looked up to, so I wanted to be like him. And um, you know, that's where it came from. That's 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 really fun. That's that's interesting where uh, where people get their interest. So so you you get to the station and you've got this interest in radio and this this background. Do you remember, if not your first time on the air, either? engineering or announcing or what it might have felt like in those early days first getting on the air do you remember what that was like yeah i mean it was exciting um live you know when you do a sports phone report it's a 57 second recording which immediately you put into the system it's on there a minute later but it's not necessarily 100 percent live if you make a mistake you could correct it mm-hmm. but what was nice about uh, announcing at uh, wvhc it was live so that had that extra little special uh, aspect to it. And I prided myself in announcing. I mean, you know, I used to be able to get 31 scores in 57 seconds so that people would be able to understand it, especially the betters in Vegas. We used to get a few million calls a day just from them. Um, so, you know, I prided myself in my enunciation and everything else involved. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was exciting the first time I was on the air over there and I was just doing uh, staff announcing I had a staff announcing shift community calendar uh, as I recall but as I said I, I moved up pretty quick I mean they needed people to cover shifts and things so um, they had faith in me and I ended up going up the ladder pretty quickly and that was a lot of fun too. Okay. So it sounds like you got pretty comfortable on air and at the station pretty quickly. You would say maybe within a couple of weeks, couple of months, something like that. Yeah, everybody's different, but um, again, I, I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I had nothing really to communicate other than announcing. Um, you know, obviously, um, my background, uh, you know, I didn't really transfer much. I mean, I, I love art history and art, and I uh, studied oil painting for a long time. Um, in fact, if you go to uh, the radio station now, there's a portrait of Jeff Krause there, I think. It's still there. But um, they asked me to paint that portrait. So, I mean, that's the only, that's like a relic. Uh, I can't believe how many years ago it was. I'll never forget when they had the unveiling, quote unquote, of that painting, how nervous I was. Uh, because I was talking about something other than broadcasting. I was talking about, you know, executing that painting and how important it was that I got it. I got the spirit of Jeff, you know, in that painting. That was a nice day. I, I, I recall the painting, and I, I think that, that probably would have gone up at the station in the newer building a little bit after after I had left. But uh, I, as soon as you mentioned yeah. it, I could picture it in my mind's eye. But you mentioned being nervous about presenting that. So here's my question for you. Were you more nervous getting on the air the first time or more nervous presenting the painting of Jeff Krause? Uh, the painting, much more nervous. I mean, I was shaking that day when I had to talk. <laughs> but I would normally I would be like, let me show you how this is done in front of a microphone. But uh, that day, man, I was nervous as hell because it was a part of me that, you know, not many people knew about, and uh, I was laying, 
laying it on the line there. And everybody has um, their own ideas of what a painting should look like. And, uh, you know, that was my interpretation uh, of it. And, you know, I was, you know, here, here's a little part of me out there. And I wanted to make sure that I was respectful of somebody that I admired, a mentor of mine and Jeff Krause. So that was really nervous that day. I'll never forget. Probably the most nervous I ever had to, most nervous I've ever been uh, in a speech, uh, which, which is funny because right now what I do for a living is I do group sales presentations in front of 20 people, um, you know, in hotels and across the United States. So it's like a seminar sales situation where I'm the host. That doesn't bother me in the slightest bit. I have no fear of being in front of groups of people. But that day when the painting was uh, unveiled, as they say, uh, I was nervous as heck. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Well, well, the job is just money. That's no big deal. But when you're, uh, and I'm kidding, of course, but when you're revealing right. that, and it's, and again, from what I remember uh, seeing the painting, it, it, it carries the spirit of the man. And when he's that important and... You know, again, the time that I knew Jeff was was near the end of his life. And I, I can imagine. I actually I can't imagine putting something of my own out there of him to say this is this is my tribute to you, and wondering what the man would say back. Because, like you said, there's there's a lot of warmth and there's a lot of generosity in there, but there's also a lot of intimidation. So I, I feel like I, I know where you're coming from, having having those. Uh, those nervous feelings before putting the painting out there. Yeah. You've actually said it better than I did. That's exactly correct. I, well, well, I, I, I'm just trying to reflect back what, what you said, but it's, that's, that's, it's a marvelous tribute. And, uh, I give you a lot of credit, uh, for doing that. Cause it's, uh, uh, it's an important touchstone at the station. I think it's, it gives people an image that they can relate to the stories that I'm, I'm sure still float around at the station. Yeah, it was an honor to be asked to do it, and I'm glad I did. Oh, that's fantastic. That's that's a that's a, a little piece of history there I did not expect to find today. So thank you for that. Um, we talked a lot about Jeff, and and there are a few other names. Who else was important in helping you get settled in the station and figuring out what kind of shows you wanted to do and how you wanted to present there? Who were some of the other the folks that were helpful? Um. Well, my friends, I mean, a radio station is um, a unique place where you bounce ideas off of your friends. And I mean, a big influence is uh, Dan DeRupo was a good friend of mine and he was, uh, you know, the executive engineer for a while. I mean, he was a nice calming influence in my life. Um, you know, of course, you're going to look up to Kid Hunt was um uh, there at the time, teaching classes of announcing and uh, writing for radio. Uh, Sue Zizza is uh, a real gem. Uh, it's so nice to see her continue the tradition of, uh, you know, what she does in uh, radio drama. Um, so, yeah, these are the people that influenced me. Uh, absolutely. Okay, so we've spent our time looking backwards from from present day, and and you know hopefully the the, the memories are coming back, and 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 you're putting all that together. But can you envision what it was like? What were you thinking 
as you walked into the radio station at the beginning? What did you hope it was going to be? What did you hope you were going to get out of it uh, at that time walking in at 18 or years old or so? Yeah, you know, I lived in the moment. I didn't really have the course of my life planned ahead of time. I, um, I don't know why, but uh, I wanted to excel. I wanted to move up, but ultimately, I didn't really have the course planned out. I just went with it. Um, it was an exciting time, you know. I, uh, it was great camaraderie. camaraderie. Um, it was basically all I have to say. I mean, you know, uh, I wish I could get those days back. <laughs> That'd be really nice. And, um, you know, I regret that um, when I left, that was when the new building was dedicated and, the new studios and, you know, the state of the art equipment. And they started pouring uh, funds into making it uh, something really special as far as radio station goes. Um, so I missed out a lot of that. I don't have regrets. I mean, I don't necessarily have regrets, but I do wish I would have been a part of that then. And uh, especially meeting some of the young talent. Um, you know, I, there's a whole bunch of friends I never met. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, there's a whole bunch of friends I never met that are uh, currently alumnus uh, doing really well. But uh, I'd like to have known them. But, you know, everybody has their little window of time there. I enjoyed every minute of mine, I'll tell you that. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for your stories and for your time and sharing this. Uh, I'm going to come up with more questions. And in the meantime, maybe if you think of any more stories, we'll, we'll plan on doing this again sometime. That'd be great. I'll be here if you want me.